Welcome to Directions Not Included, a podcast that features candid conversations for a stronger community. So many of life lessons do not include instructions. It's a live and learn situation, especially when it comes to raising strong families and creating healthy communities. Together, we will discuss tough topics that help make us better people and overall, a better community. Because together, we can build a legacy. Our last few episodes really centered on developmental assets and healthy youth development topics. These topics build substance use prevention. Today, we're shifting gears in order to talk about substance use disorder and a topic called harm reduction. Harm reduction has become a more commonly used approach in recent years, but there tends to be some stigma and a lot of questions around it. Today, we'll try to unravel these questions and remove the stigma from harm reduction techniques. To help with the conversation, we have Chansey Eastman, Andrea Foster, and Phyllis Thorne. Chansey is a certified recovery coach with lived experience. He has been in recovery for two years and used Peer 360 and abstinence as his pathways to recovery. He works for Peer 360 Recovery Alliance for Midland and Aranac counties. In this role, he networks with other organizations to support people who are getting started with their recovery path. He is also a recovery coach with JNA Counseling and Evaluations, offering recovery coaching services to individuals through Midland County Specialty Courts. An important part of Chansey's recovery has been his four dogs, who have taught him empathy, and he invests a lot of time in improving relationships with his family. He has found that religion has played a dynamic role in his path to recovery as well. Andrea Foster is the Chief of Staff and Director for Program Development Opioid Response at the Michigan Health Improvement Alliance, Mahia, in Saginaw County. At Mahia, Andrea is the Project Director for the Caring Quick Response Team, which serves survivors of overdose within 72 hours of being revived. The Caring Team actively works within their communities to increase access to naloxone and fentanyl testing kits. Andrea is the Midland Mentors Program Coordinator serving Midland County's Juvenile Care Center. She is also the chair of Saginaw's Covenant Neighborhood Association and volunteers with the City of Saginaw's Citizen Police Advisory Commission in Great Lakes Bay Pride. Andrea earned a certificate from Duke University in nonprofit management, is a 2020 graduate of Shift Institute's Emerging Leaders Program, and a 2020 alum of the Henry Marsh Institute for Public Policy. Most recently, she was recognized by Cranes Detroit as a notable LGBTQ individual in business. She's a single mother, an outdoor enthusiast, and a staunch advocate for unseen and underserved people. When she's not doing the above activities, she enjoys knitting, listening to music, and spending time with her daughter and their dog, Pickles. Phyllis Thorne is the Caring Quick Response Team Coordinator for Saginaw and Bay Counties at 1016 Recovery Network. The Saginaw and Bay County QRT teams partner with emergency responders to return to the homes of overdose survivors. Team members attempt to connect with survivors by checking on their health and assisting them in finding community resources. They prioritize harm reduction by providing Narcan and fentanyl testing strips. As the coordinator, she offers assistance to survivors who wish to seek treatment by connecting them with an appropriate agency to begin the recovery process. Phyllis is a trained CCAR recovery coach and a person of lived experience, an overdose survivor of 21 years. Her heart is to show empathy to other survivors, letting them know that someone completely understands what they're going through and wants them to succeed, no matter what decision they're able to make at the time. 
Phyllis is a mother of three children, nine grandchildren, and five great-grandboys. She is active in her church as a minister and street evangelist. Hello and welcome back. I'm your host, Katherine Tate. Today we'll be tackling the life-saving topic of harm reduction. We may not think about it, but we use harm reduction techniques in everyday life. Things like wearing seatbelts and helmets, for example. We don't think much about these, but when we start talking about harm reduction for substance use disorder, sometimes people start to squirm a bit. By the end of today's discussion, we should have a better understanding of these methods and why they're effective tools when working with individuals who have substance use disorder. So to start off the conversation this morning, Phyllis, would you give me your definition of what harm reduction is? Hi, Catherine. I guess my definition of harm reduction would be I work with uh, overdose survivors. So what we do is if they're not um, ready to start the recovery process, we make sure that they have Narcan, that they have fentanyl strips, that they have whatever would help them not to have an accidental overdose again. And so I guess that that would be my um, take on harm reduction. Great. Thank you. Andrea or Chancy, do either one of you want to add anything to that definition or reframe it a little bit to how you define harm reduction? Yeah, I'll hop in there. I think that harm reduction, to keep it really simple, is anything, no matter how marginal, that can arrest or not further harm to oneself, their friends, their family, or their community. That's great. Andrea, do you have anything you want to add to that? Yeah, when I'm talking to people about it, you know, coming from a space of not having lived experience, I basically just say harm reduction is anything that'll help someone be safe while they continue to make the choices that they're making so we can keep them alive long enough to make the choice to enter recovery. Yeah, that's perfect. I love that. Um, So from each of you, it's a slightly different perspective, but I gather that the goal is, is to keep a person safe and to keep a person alive with a long-term goal of connecting them with resources for treatment and recovery. Phyllis, you mentioned a couple of harm reduction techniques, those being Narcan and fentanyl strips. Could you expand on those and help our audience understand what those two items are? And maybe if anyone has other examples of harm reduction techniques, now would be a great time to add those in. Okay, so the Narcan, I guess the technical name for that would be naloxone, and uh, we know it as Narcan. We use a, the nasal spray. The Narcan is a nasal spray. There are two doses in the box, one for each nostril, and um, they save a person's life till 911 can get there to further assist them. Uh, the fentanyl strips is something they can use to test the amount of fentanyl or the presence of fentanyl in a drug. So there's a couple different things that um, we've been doing, especially in the community, and, and I've got some other um, ideas of what harm reduction can look like, too. And we've been working closely with the health department, for instance, to help distribute naloxone or Narcan free to the community, to anyone who wants it, who can go there during business hours. They can walk in, there's a vending machine, and they press a button or two. And it pops right out and that's it. They walk in, press their button, walk out, free Narcan. And so we just had that installed last week and it's been wildly successful, which is really exciting. So they had over 62 boxes taken in the first three business days. Wow. So 
Um, yeah, that was really great. So that's, I, I think a lot of times it's how do we get the most life-saving tools out there that we can to people so the most people have access to it. And so it's not just people who use drugs that might need naloxone and their family members. It's everyone. But as, as Phyllis mentioned, uh, the fentanyl test strips are really important because we are finding fentanyl in so many street drugs, not just the typical heroin or opioid-related drugs. So um, you might need it to reverse someone who had no idea that they were taking an opioid into their body. So um, it's more and more important that more people have Narcan on them and whether or not you think you know someone who even uses drugs. So we also have something called an opioid safety kit that Phyllis has been distributing to businesses in the Bay City and Saginaw area. They are clear boxes that go on a wall next to like an AED machine, but that they're clearly visible. And so it says opioid safety kit, and then you can just turn the key, open it, and there's a red box in it. And in that red box, it has the two doses of Narcan and instructions with a QR code, the whole nine yards. So that is not only providing naloxone visibly where it's needed, so in case of an emergency, it's right there, but also it's reducing the stigma because people can begin to see, especially if it's somewhere with your other emergency tools than like an AED machine, no one's going to sit there and question why an AED machine should exist. They're not going to say, oh, we don't deserve to give people with heart attacks their life back, right? So the more we can show that with our opioid safety kits, the less stigma there is, hopefully in the long run. So I would say those are two great methods when it comes to um, opioid use. I think the Safe Syringe Program or Syringe Service Program that is being started by the health department here in Saginaw is really important. That's another way to do it. I mean, at the end of the day, it's all about how do we keep you safe? It's the same thing like making sure HIV patients have the right medications they need or making sure condoms are available for people who are having sex. You know, all of those things, these are all ways to reduce harm. So if we stop thinking about it in terms of just drugs, people might be a little more accepting to the concept as well. Thank you for that, Andrea. Um, I love that connection to other harm reduction techniques. We don't we don't question many harm reduction techniques. They're just things that we do in our lives. And for some reason, we do run into a lot of stigma. And we're actually going to tackle that in a few minutes when it comes to the harm reduction methods around substance use. There just seems to be a lot more stigma around that. So hopefully we'll we'll dig in to that and kind of, I guess I would say, unpack that for our listeners today as well. Chancy, before we move on from this kind of intro piece, uh, can you tell me who's the target audience for harm reduction? So in my community right now, it'd be people that struggle with substance use disorder, alcohol use disorder. So because they cross over a lot and often. So we try to get out there and and in a non-judgmental way, uh, because it seems like a lot of the time stigma can can greatly be reduced reduce just by being available, you know, by showing people that uh, not only people that struggle with substance use disorder, but the rest of the community that that there's a voice for that. Uh, And we're out here trying to be a community and not be as fractioned as we are. Thank you. 
The Legacy Center does work in prevention, but that seems to spill over into harm reduction at times and in recovery and treatment and the the ways that um, our community supports those. And that has me thinking, for our listeners' sake, Andrea, would you be able to talk about how harm reduction relates to and differs from traditional prevention work? Yeah, so from my understanding, prevention is all about outreach and education to prevent someone to become in a place where they're struggling with substance use disorder. So if we give you all of this information, and not just necessarily information, but maybe community resources. So Mm -hmm. a lot of times if someone's finding themselves with substance use disorder, it's because some other need in their life isn't being met, whether it's a mental health need, whether it is a social service need, um, all of those things, we really need to have shored up for someone so they don't engage in this activity because sometimes that's the only way you can think of it. You just need to get out of your space and your head and whatever that reasoning is. But if we can start to fix the root causes of substance use disorder, that's what prevention looks like to me. So it's not just education, but it's also advocating for strong social service programs for nonprofits that are helping fill in when they can, um, for just making sure people have their needs met regardless of their situation monetarily. So that's, is a huge part of prevention to me, whereas harm reduction is, okay, you're already there. Where are you at? Let's meet you where you're at. How can we help you stay safe in order to be alive long enough to make those choices that'll hopefully get you to a space where you're not going to be engaging in these harmful behaviors anymore? So prevention is more like, we don't want you to do this. We never want you to, but let's, what can we do to help make sure that you don't versus you already are? How can we help you get to a better space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Phyllis or Chancy, do either of you want to add anything to that? I think that was was well said. So perfect. One thing that once was mentioned in a meeting that connected the dots for me is, you know, prevention does all of that community-based work. And you can also extend it to harm reduction in that it's preventing overdose and death. So there is a sense of prevention, but it's more of a secondary prevention, right? We're preventing things from getting worse for a person so that they can find the resources that they need. Andrea, can you speak to the types of harm reduction tools that currently are readily available in the Great Lakes Bay region and where people might find those? We have some recovery organizations that are here. We've got not enough, frankly, but, you know, we've got really strong recovery organizations that do exist like Pier 360 and 1016 Recovery Network and Great Lakes Bay Health and and all of these places that are pitching together. And the health department especially has become kind of an epicenter in the city of Saginaw to provide services like that, um, not necessarily medically assisted treatment, but they do have a syringe service program they're starting. They've got a beautiful mural they just put up to help uh, with stigma reduction and explanation. And then they're hosting our Narcan vending machines. So I would say that's a great place to start as far as harm reduction efforts go. Um, But then you're also gonna need all these organizations involved that are the people and they're the the ones really doing the the tools, the hard tools are here, but you need the people to to guide and help and lead and, and really be there because if you don't have an actual person helping you, then it's going to be real tough to get through this. How do we address community readiness for harm reduction? How do we know if a community is ready for implementing these kinds of techniques? And if they're not, how do we work on getting them there? Well, I would say that 
first of all, you get, you talk to people that have, that had lived experience. And I would suspect that most counties are ready for that. And since often it is associated with a good or bad, instead of looking at it as how do we help, you know? And like, I remember when, when I was in active illness, uh, you had to have a prescription to buy needles. Like, I mean, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. And I think that often if we have people that are advocating being out loud, and I think that's what was really difficult historically, AA and NA are programs ran with anonymity, which is awesome. I absolutely believe in privacy and anonymity. But now that you have some in-between programs that we can recover out loud and we can bring it to the forefront that we're not, it's not anything about an argument of what's right or wrong. It's about how do we help folks stay healthy, get healthy, and start to feel some hope so they take that next step in the recovery. So it sounds like it's a, a lot about how we talk about it Absolutely. and making sure that we talk about it. And I think it goes back to what Andrea said about seeing it in the community, right? When we see when we see harm reduction techniques and substance use disorder as health and safety, then we begin to reframe our thoughts about it. Yeah. Anybody want to add anything about that, um, about the community readiness piece to that? Um, I would like to jump in there. When when I was active, actively using drugs uh, 21 years ago, um, I had an accidental overdose and woke up in the uh, in a ward where they said I tried to kill myself. And so they I had to see a psychiatrist and so on and so forth. And I never even knew what happened because when you overdose, you the last one to know what's happened to you. If someone doesn't tell you that you overdosed, if someone doesn't say you died and were brought back to life, you don't know. And so I had no clue why I was in a psych psychiatric work. I had no clue why I was there, what had happened, or either what they were talking about. And uh, that, so, but now today, it's more in the open. It's, it's you know what I'm saying? I, I love that uh, chance, what you said about live, living it out loud. So that people can see that, hey, look, we're just, we're, we're folks just like you. We just, you know what I'm saying? And you mentioned earlier about having a, if it was a person that was having a heart attack and how we would view that. You know, it's the same with a person with substance use disorder. It's a disease, you know? Mm -hmm. And so once you say about that health, health and safety, we can uh, more readily accept the person that has uh, that issue. So mm -hmm. it's it has come a long way. That's what I'm oh, really trying to say. That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that insight. Yeah. Andrea, did you have anything you wanted to add about that with the community readiness piece? Yeah, I think, you know, we could give a real deep dive on racial disparities and funding and monetary disparities. Um, I will say that what I love about Saginaw is because they do say yes, is they know they need the help. And not all communities are willing to say we need the help, and that comes with stigma reduction. I, I mean, I didn't know hardly anything about this work until I started just over a year ago. And working with people in recovery is exactly how you should learn. And I can say now, like, I'm proud to work with people who are in active recovery and long-term recovery because they're the strongest people I've ever met in my entire life. 
they've mm-hmm. done something most people can't even dream of going through and doing. So I think we need to stop thinking about it in terms of shame and have a sense of pride over people who can get through this. And maybe that can be a step towards having community leaders say, hey, I'm really proud of these people because they've done some amazing work and we want them. We want them in our community. We mm-hmm. want to to showcase them and help others see that they can be there. They can be mm-hmm. like that. Um, and so that to me is a big part of it, but it starts with community leaders acknowledging what's going on. Because if you have a general thought idea, general thought in your head that, oh, they're never going to allow that, they just, they'll say no immediately. Well, then no one's going to try. And you have to have people who are willing to try, but you also have to have people at the top who are willing to say yes. Mm -hmm. Those are really poignant uh, comments, Andrea. I want to echo what you've said about people in recovery. I also had not had many interactions with people in recovery until I started my role about five years ago. And, and I agree. The value that they add to our community is immense. And their their lived experience and the strength that they've shown through that should not be understated and it should be valued. And that is a driving piece for me in the work that we do. And I also go back to something that someone once said regarding recovery work is don't do for me without me. So we need their voices at the table. Mm-hmm. We need to hear from them. And that's why today's conversation is great because we have two people with us that are in long-term recovery and we shouldn't be having this conversation without that, without that lens. So thank you. All right. So Phyllis, uh, you do some interesting work with the, with the quick response team and that had me wondering, you know, you talk, you guys make sure that they have Narcan and they have fentanyl strips to protect them. And then eventually the hope is that they'll connect with treatment. How can harm reduction techniques help lead a person or help a person connect to treatment? I want to say, Catherine, thank you for uh, giving us this audience and, and allowing our voices to be heard. Thank you so much. Absolutely. With the quick response team, um, when we go out to survivors, what, we're, what we do is we try to uh, build a connection with them. If they're not ready to maybe seek treatment, we um, provide them, as I said, with uh, Narcan and with fentanyl strips. And, but we also give them a backpack that's filled with what has a folder in it and filled with community resources as to how they can get help in the community if, if and when they're ready. It, it has places where they can go for food if they need food um, assistance, where they can go. Um, I guess the main thing I would say is that that connection that we make with them. We have two attempts within a week that we um, connect with them. We have a 72-hour window that we try. Some, and sometimes it's very hard to find them because they don't want to give people their right addresses or right phone number. When we do connect with them, we see we keep we see them in 30 days, 60 days, and 90 days. So, like I said, we do try to make that connection with them. I have several people that uh, that'll call me back and say, "Hey, listen, what did you say about that? Uh, <laughs> what did you say about that um, detox and you know so on and so forth?" And 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 to tell you the truth, this is what I like to do. 
is I like to just keep it real with survivors and tell them that, hey, listen, I'm a person with lived experience. I, I've been there. I can relate to you. I just want to tell you what happened to you, what's happened to you, and now the decision is for you. But one thing about our um, about stigma reduction, many people don't want to admit that they have a problem because it's so much negativity surrounded by uh, drug you know, substance use disorder. No one, everyone that wants to say, I don't have a problem. It's a one-time thing. I just tried it one time. I'm a partier. And you know, everybody at the party was doing it, but you OD twice in one day. So there is, you know, there's a problem somewhere. And so I, that's what I would really like to do is to reduce the stigma around having a, a problem, just like, you know, uh, uh, mental health. It used to be somebody would say, oh, they're crazy. And so nobody wanted to admit to they might have a mental health issue. But today we want people to live. And so if we can just get information to that person that has that substance use disorder, you know, I remember my one time in treatment and I had been in six treatment centers. And one time I learned, I had, uh, I learned the clinical side of addiction and it was like the light bulb went on my head i found out you know that here is where the disconnect is for me and that started me into recovery to say mm -hmm. that hey listen i do have a problem and this is what i can do about it and this is what i would like to get into the community so let the survivor or the person that suffers with substance use disorder to, for them to recognize that it's okay mm -hmm to say I have a problem so we can get help. That's great. I heard two things that I really want to draw out to the audience. The first one being that it's all about the relationship, right? You make a point to build the relationship twice in, in one week, and then you follow up on a monthly basis for quite a while. And the second one being the need for them to be able to make their own decision on when they enter treatment. I think one of the misconceptions that we hear often is, you know, well, they could get help if they just wanted to, or there are ways they're just choosing. And, and there's that a misunderstanding about the, the brain component, like you said, but also there's a readiness piece. You know, if you're not, if you're not eating healthy and you're not exercising, no one assumes that you're just going to stop what you're doing and change your habits right away, right? You have to be ready to start your exercise routine, or you have to be ready to start eating fresh fruits and vegetables every single day. And this is really not that different because a person has to be ready to take that first step to get into treatment. And if they have to overcome all these layers of stigma first, then as a community and as those who interact with those individuals, we have to help them see that that there is a path forward, that this is um, something that can be managed and that it's okay. Then that there's hope. You guys have touched on all of those things. I'm really just summarizing here. As we come to a close, we always like to give our listeners tips or tools that they can use in their day-to-day -day interactions, their day-to-day -day lives to make an impact in our community. So I wanna know from each of you, how can our listeners get involved or support harm reduction in our community? What is something that people can do? Stop being afraid. Mm. No one's gonna give you a communicable disease if you talk to them about it. 
no one it's not going to like jump across the air and attack you so just a get rid of that fear acknowledge it it's fine b get a box of narcan you know where to get it now call any one of our organizations and we will help make that connection scan the qr code go on youtube whatever learn how to use it you don't have to get a big fancy certification you don't have to go to a first responder training you just have to scan a qr code or go to the internet and learn how to use narcan the narcan company naloxone is the drug you can learn right there on their website. So that is the easiest thing in my book that you can do aside from making a decision to stop placing shame on those who are actively using or who have used in the past. Um, I would just like to appeal to, I would say the allies in your audience because I don't have lived experience, but I'm a strong ally because I know the power of seeing what this can do. And I've lost people. I've lost mm-hmm. people to this, and I just think, wow, what if they had this? What if someone had been right there to help them? What if someone had a, their Narcan? What if, you know, some of these people were social workers themselves. Anyone can fall into substance use disorder. So no one should think they're above it, and no one should treat someone else like they're below them. Your family members can have substance use disorder. Your friends, people you may not know, people you know may not have had it. They just we have to get rid of the shame that comes with it. And then if you want to be more proactive, grab that Narcan and just be prepared. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chancy, Phyllis, do either of you have any tips or tools for community members that want to become more involved in harm reduction? Yeah. Be kind. I mean, be kind. So it's our responsibility to develop ourselves and our community. One of the best ways we can do that is just to be kind something that everyone can do everybody's capable of it and it takes nothing from yourself doesn't take anything away from one candle to light another that's a great visual thank you phyllis any last thoughts um and speaking of candles we had a national overdose awareness day was august the 31st and Andrea and um, Beth Urick uh, with our 1016 Recovery and along with uh, Chanel Booz at Pure 360 held a candlelight vigil at uh, the health department in Saginaw. And so if, if the community would see things like that, you know, post it, uh, try to become more aware, drop your biases. Just get rid of the prejudices and the bias against, you know, it's kind of like Andrea said, it's not a communicable disease. You'd have to pick it up yourself, you know, and see whether what part of the spectrum you fall on. Will I get addicted? Will I not? You know, so um, I I did before we before we go, I wanted to just expound on two two areas, uh, if if that's okay with you. Absolutely. Um, Chancey mentioned Matt. And I don't know if your listeners or you might be aware of what that is. And that's uh, medically assisted treatment where, um, and I used to have that bias myself, where I was a 12-stepper, so to speak, of the 12 steps. And it was about abstinence for long, for years. You know, if you're not doing W, X, and Y, then you don't have recovery with Z. But I found out, like Chancey, through Pure 360, that there are many pathways to recovery. And so that's another thing about dropping biases. I let go of mine. Well, this has been a really powerful conversation. 
Thank you, Chansey, Andrea, and Phyllis for sharing your passion and your expertise about substance use disorder and harm reduction. And thank you listeners for joining us. Together, we can build a legacy in our community.